This is Alan Gilman, and you're listening to Thinking Biblically for March the 2nd, 2020. This is the Thinking Biblically podcast with Bible teacher Alan Gilman. Alan regards the entire Bible as the only inspired written Word of God. Through his teaching, he seeks to apply all Scripture to every area of life. More information about Alan Gilman's Bible teaching is available at his website, alangilman.ca. Welcome to another edition of Thinking Biblically. It's March, and uh, it, we think of March and spring. We still have winter here in Ottawa, Canada's capital. Uh, we had a major snowstorm just last week. Um, on Saturday, I took a walk in the woods near our home, and the sun was out. It was just so beautiful, and I often think about how there are so many people in the world that never get to see the brilliance of the sunshine shining on the snow I know a lot of people feel differently about it. I am looking forward to it being all gone and for entering into full-blown spring eventually. Um, uh, but we're going to have to wait a little while. Um, this next weekend coming up, Saturday night, we turn our clocks forward. It's spring ahead as we enter into daylight savings time. And it's uh, people have various opinions about that too. But I am looking forward to the sun going down an hour later starting on Sunday. Um, speaking of snow, um, I was on my morning walk today and um, I saw a city a vehicle, a pickup truck, and a city worker uh, snuff, sh- shoveling snow on somebody's uh, property in, in somebody's front yard. And I figured, well, something is going on there. And as I got closer, I saw exactly what he was doing. And what he was doing is he, he was clearing a fire hydrant. Uh, must have been buried uh, in these parts, uh, our fire hydrants have uh, these, um, I don't know if they're plastic or, or metal uh, slats that, uh, so if the snow does get high enough due to snowfalls or snow plows, um, then um, you can still see where they are. And uh, he was clearing around it. Uh, it seemed obvious to me that it was a safety precaution in case there's a fire, then uh, it's easier for uh, our firefighters to get to the fire hydrants. And I thought at the time that, and you might think it's a little silly, but but hold on for a second, that uh, this is one of the fruits of a society that has been basically built on a biblical worldview, where our government officials have implemented a, a, a plan where they send out their staff to clear the area around fire hydrants so that they don't have to do that once there is a fire. And the whole idea of, of taking safety precautions is actually well-rooted in the Torah, in the books of Moses, uh, that uh, we're responsible as, as a society for making sure that people uh, don't uh, unnecessarily incur injury. We actually have this very high value of caring for human life. And I know we're not completely consistent uh, today and that's part of the concern that we've lost some of that care for human life uh, and uh, through biblical teaching hopefully we're going to be able to recover that first as individuals and then our families and our congregations and, whole, and our societies it's one of the ways we, we are salt and light um, we're called to make a difference in the world and it's through a good biblical teaching and that is my main goal in doing the Thinking Biblically podcast is to help people connect with the whole scripture and get a better understanding of what uh, it means to think biblically. 
And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of having a biblical perspective of not only life, but even a biblical perspective of the Bible. Because if we don't relate to the Word of God, uh, the written Word of God, on its terms, then we are skewing uh, what it's intending to say. And the better we, and the more we take the Bible on its own terms, the more we use a biblical lens to view what the Bible says, the better we're going to understand it. And hopefully the better we understand it, then the better we'll implement it. And even how we implement it is found in, in Scripture as well. Such a, a deep, profound, uh, life-giving uh, collection of books that the Bible is. And um, what I, I'm, I'm hoping to wrap up in this edition of Thinking Biblically, uh, what I've started on several weeks ago, where I began looking at some skewed lenses common skewed lenses through which we see the Bible. I talked about three in particular, the um, Platonic dualism, the idea that uh, the spiritual world is good and the material world is bad, uh, the spiritual world is is more real than the material world, spiritual world is the ideal, the material world is substandard, this kind of idea, and that's not biblical. The biblical view is that we live in a integrated creation. There's visible things and invisible things. God created them all. He created them all good. Uh, things have gone wrong due to this biblical concept called sin, and uh, God has made a way for us to deal with uh, a world that is sinful. It's his determination to put an end to that. Um, and I don't want to go too much down this road right now, uh, but the idea that we live in a fragmented reality, and, and part of that too is an expectation that our future is going to be in a detached, spiritual, non-material future. This kind of idea uh, also not is not biblical, that we are expecting the renewal of the heavens and the earth, and that God will reign on earth, and the dead will rise and there will be a judgment and 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 there'll be those who will be condemned and those who will who will um not be condemned and will inherit uh the the age to come um that's the biblical that's the biblical lens through which we should look at the universe in which we live uh, this the second skewed lens is reductionism that's taking the the stories of scripture and reducing them down to abstract concepts. And while I think that is a, a good thing to do, we have to make sure that we keep those abstract concepts within the narrative context that they've been given to us by God, that God purposely designed scripture to be um, um, basically narrative story form. And there's something about learning the truths of God within the story of Scripture, the stories of Scripture, as well as the grand story of Scripture, that's how we're going to best understand it. And something happens when we reduce it down to abstract concepts, that we that those abstract concepts tend to have a life of its own. And then we begin to expound the concepts we're not expounding Scripture. One of the ways, and it's, it's it's kind of complicated. One of the ways that this skewed lens is is expressed, the skewed lens of reductionism, is how 
uh, Israel gets left behind in this in the story of God when actually and I looked at this more fully last time we talked about the centrality of Israel and the plan of God uh, but this this thing called replacement theology which is the third skewed lens uh, which is an ex- somewhat an expression of reductionism it takes the the truths of scripture which are found within the story of Israel and the Bible and it reduces it down to these abstract concepts and then leaves the people of Israel, the land of Israel kind of behind, that it served its purpose, and now we're done with that. We've got the higher ideal, back to the Platonic thinking, the higher spiritual ideal of these abstract concepts, and the material substance, the, 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 the earthiness of Scripture as expressed for the people of Israel gets, gets lost, and we, as a result, we lose touch with what the Bible actually says. And so we spent time last time, uh, and I encourage you to go back to the, the previous podcasts and, and listen to some of this, and especially in relationship to what we're going to do this time, is we're going to look at the benefits of the centrality of Israel and the plan of God. So last time, I shared several points uh, that had to do with how the scripture understands the centrality of Israel in the plan of God. Uh, that um, I looked through all that, and it's such a key to that is the, if if the way to be restored to the God of Israel is through the Jewish Messiah, we need to understand him within his context, which is that he came in in fulfillment of the promises to Israel. And I shared how fulfillment doesn't mean completed. It means fill it to the full. And so he really is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews is the savior of the world. And he's still the king of the Jews. In the book of Revelation, John sees the lion of Judah. He's still the lion of the tribe of Judah that hasn't changed. His influence has expanded beyond the borders of Israel, both as a people and as of a land, but the expansion of his influence doesn't uh, disregard, doesn't uh, eclipse the ongoing importance of Israel in the plan of God. And so this episode, today, what we're going to look at uh, are some of the benefits that we derive, scripturally speaking, benefits in in, in understanding the Bible, that are derived from this unskewed lens, this clear lens of reading the Bible through the lens of the centrality of Israel in the plan of God. That once we grasp that, once we see uh, the place of Israel in the Bible um, and the continued place of Israel in God's plan, then we derive greater benefit from the scriptures itself. And so, first of all, uh, something that should be pretty obvious is the context of the narrative scripture is a Jewish one. And, and that hasn't stopped. So some people go, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, um, of course, the so much of the Bible is about uh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and what happens to them. All the way into the New Testament, Jewish people play such a part. You can't deny that, that the people of Israel are central characters in the story of Scripture. And yet, 
how a lot of people will see that is through a very negative, I'll use the word lens again, a negative lens, so that Israel functions as the bad example. The bad example is, you know, the the Jewish people were the chosen people, and they really blew it, and now we have all the the better stuff through, through Jesus. And uh, so the church, that's the, that's the good people of God. And whatever God was doing before with Israel, that was a big failure. And, and we could learn, we could learn from Israel because they're the bad example. Well, that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, first of all, concerning f- the failure aspect of Israel, the Bible's very clear. Everyone's failed. That's why we need a savior. That's clear. We need God. We need God to rescue us. Clear. Um, Israel was chosen partly to show the world our need of God. And so Israel uh, ends up, we, we see the failure of Israel because it was, the spotlight was put on Israel because God chose Israel for his purposes to, ble- to through whom to bless the world. That's the Abrahamic promise. But part of that was he gave us his word and we failed to live up to God's standards, which any other nation would have done. We're the ones that are highlighted because God chose us to be the highlighted nation so that everyone would understand these general truths about human nature, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But to see the function of Israel as simply negative is not is not really reading the Bible. So, so uh, Abraham, Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham had his struggles. Abraham is our foundational model of what it means to be a faithful man of God. We learn so much from his life. And you know, I could go on and on and on about the characters of Scripture that they've been given to us as the what we call the Old Testament. I like to refer to the Old Testament as the Hebrew Scriptures. I call it that because the Old Testament, which means Old Covenant, is an aspect of Hebrew Scripture. There's more to what we call the Old Testament than Old Covenant. Maybe we'll talk about that more another time, but. Uh, there's so much in the Hebrew Scriptures, positive things to learn. And, and even the, 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 the failures are actually, they're positives in the sense that we see ourselves in these people. We see ourselves in, we should, we're being called to see ourselves in people like David. David, a man after God's own heart. Nobody else is called that in all of, of Scripture, Old and New Testament. He is, his, his songs are our songs to sing. And some of them are very raw. And we learn about God and we learn about life. Solomon, through, we get the, the Proverbs from the third king of Israel, who was a glorious king, but was a really broken individual. And it, it should kind of shake us to, to, to see that the, the, some of the wisest words ever written came from a man that actually um, ha, was, was messed up relationally. That should give us hope, though, because 
in these in people like Solomon as we see ourselves. Elijah, in a day where things were so dark, where there were so few true followers of God left, was a faithful man of God who was willing to stand up against the evil political powers of his day. And yet then there came a time when he emotionally and spiritually collapsed and wanted to die. And then we read how God scoops him up from that place of depression and despair. There's hope for us. You know, there, there, you know the most idealized character in all of Scripture is the King of the Jews, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And we see a humanity there. He's, he, he doesn't fail. He doesn't sin. But he gets hungry and he gets tired. And he's, he's struggling in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he, he's arrested. And, and that's, so the humanity of people, humanity of humanity is so well expressed. And it's expressed primarily through the characters of Scripture. And they're almost all Jewish. It's the Jewish people who were chosen to help all people get to know the true God. It's the Jewish people who are the characters through whom we get to understand life the way it's supposed to be lived and to detach the lessons of Scripture from the stories of these Jewish people, detach it from the people of Israel and the history of ancient Israel, to detach it in any way, then we begin to lose the stories themselves and the truths themselves, that we lose the truths that these stories are, are, are reflecting. So, not only the story, but realize the concepts of Scripture. So when, when somebody tries to write a systematic theology, and I, I, I'm on record of saying it, I don't think there's anything wrong with a systematic theology. The problem with it is when it begins to take a life of its own and it's detached from the, the context of Scripture that these concepts are derived from. And so, um, whether we're talking about sin or salvation or worship or holiness or truth or faith or reality or goodness or morality— uh, sexuality, all the ways that these things have come to the world is through the story of Israel. And so once we grasp that and once we see, oh, we need to understand the Bible as a Jewish book, and I don't mean Jewish in the fullness of Jewish culture, but in the fact that it's a Jewish story. It's about the Jewish people. And, and so, um, you know, very often when people study the New Testament, uh, which is in Greek, they forget that behind the Greek of the New Testament is a Jewish and Hebrew worldview. So even the words, now of course, the Gospels, much of the, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the dialogue that's being recorded, the speeches that are being recorded most of the time were in Jewish language. 
that what we have is a translation. There's a tradition that Matthew was written in Hebrew, but we don't have a manuscript in Hebrew. So whether there is a Hebrew original or not, what we have is all in Greek, but the Greek represents either Aramaic dialogue and speeches or Hebrew uh, Hebrew. Uh, and Jewish Aramaic, by the way. It's, it's the Aramaic of the Jewish people living in the land of Israel in the first century. And so what we have in Greek and then in whatever other whatever language we're reading in, its roots of, of meaning and even the words themselves are all Jewish. So when Scripture's quoted in, in the New Testament, when Scripture's spoken, in the Gospels, either they're making their own translation of Aramaic or Hebrew that was being said, or uh, they're quoting a, a known Greek translation like the Septuagint. And if they're quoting a known Greek translation, then it's a Greek translation of Hebrew. And yet very few people will take the time when encountering terms, not only quotes, but concepts throughout the New Testament. Paul or one of the other writers is, is commenting on something. They're, they're using words. Many of their words are the Greek translation of some Hebrew word derived from Hebrew Scripture. It's all rooted in Hebrew Scripture. There's almost nothing, in my opinion, that is talked about. I'm not saying nothing. Almost nothing. Even the things that might seem completely unique conceptually in the New Testament, the writers have been so informed by an understanding of the world that was given to them by God through Hebrew Scripture. Yeshua himself appealed to Hebrew Scripture constantly, that he came to fulfill Scripture, and, and, and him fulfilling Scripture is not simply doing something that was predicted in a prophecy. It was bringing the intentions of God as revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures to its fullest sense, its right meaning, its fullest implications. We see that reflected in him. What is he reflecting? He's reflecting Hebrew Scripture. And so, Understanding the centrality of Israel and the plan of God gives us the right context to understand Bible. And so, once we see there's a primary focus on Israel in Scripture, for the nations, not just for Israel, Abraham was called for the purpose of blessing the nations— But the preparation to bless the nations all happened within a Jewish story. Once we understand the primary focus on Israel and Scripture, then we could then we have an opportunity to to interpret it in the way that it was intended. So automatically, this under will undermine things like Platonic dualism because it's not there. Also, as we keep Israel central in the plans and purposes of God as we read scripture, it keeps God's word 
is truth to be concrete and it avoids reductionism and misguided logic. We need to keep the truth of God within the story. So when you keep the truth of God within the story that it's revealed, understanding he's not seeking to undermine the place and position of Israel and God's plan, whatever we're reading in Scripture, then we avoid reductionism. We begin to read God's word, God's word in the way it was intended to be read. And here's a real big one. Once we're able to turn away from a very negative view of Israel, that Israel was this temporary thing or, uh, that, that we're just waiting to get rid of, it's like the peel on the banana and we throw it out because now we've got the inside of the banana. May not be the best illustration. But uh, once we understand that and we have a more biblical, positive take on Israel and the plan of God, then we have the opportunity to have a more positive stance towards the books of Moses. Because God revealed himself at Mount Sinai in a particular way that he's never done since. By knowing Yeshua, we can understand Sinai in the way that it was intended. Now, people trip up over a lot of this because I do believe there's things in Sinai that had its time. And there is a new covenant, according to Jeremiah 31, that's not like the old covenant. But there are understandings that we derive about truth, about God, about life, that we can only get through the books of Moses. Of course, there's creation, and then understanding our predicament. There's that, and everybody, you know, most people who love the Bible embrace that. But the holiness of God, what it means to be a kingdom of, of priests unto God, well, where are you going to get that from if you don't value what Torah teaches about the priesthood. Um, did I say the holiness of God already? Understanding is holiness. And yes, there, there's a section in Leviticus that talks about uh, God's um, judging the nations because of certain sexual and relation uh, practices and, 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 and relational issues. And it makes it very clear. It reveals to us some of the things that God won't tolerate with anybody anywhere at any time. We have that in Torah. We learn about the need to be impartial. We learn about the need to have fair weights and measures when we're doing business with people. We, we, we learn about building code, about uh, creating, uh, building our houses such a way that people won't get hurt. That's, that's in Torah. There's, there's sanitation, hy- hy- hygienic issues we learn about in Torah. And these were not just for a time. This, this was the gracious God revealing what people actually don't learn on their own, but revealing through special revelation. He, he shows uh, the people of Israel how to live a good life. And then that could be shared with the nations in the name of the Jewish Messiah. And so to lead an effective godly life, we need to know how to embrace all Scripture in the way that God has called us to in this new covenant era as we wait for our king to return and fully establish his kingdom. 
One final thing, a huge benefit to our lives as we understand the centrality of Israel in the plan of God. We see that Israel was called by God as a distinctive nation, and that distinctiveness continues until now, and I believe continues forever, as does the distinctiveness of other people groups. When we gather, whatever it means in the book of Revelation, and the nations gather, it's not people of nations now homogenized into one Christian nation. I don't believe that's a biblical concept. But under the name of King Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, people from every tribe, nation, language gather, and they retain their distinctiveness in some way that I I don't know how that's going to work. If we don't understand that Israel has a distinctive part to play, and we think that, and I mentioned this, I talked about this part last time, if we think that, I think it was last one or the time before, that Israel, no, rather, uh, this thing called the church is its own nation, people who were formerly from other nations, and that as believers, we give up all of our ethnic and, and national distinctives. If we think that, then we actually override some of the God-given distinctives that we have, and we fail to be, be the mosaic that I believe, scripturally, that we're supposed to be. But when we understand the place of Israel, when we actually deal with this and remember that God has committed himself to fulfill particular things to the Jewish people, has not given up on us, then there's implications for all the other people groups. And while there's things in all of our ethnicities that are issues that need to be dealt with and things that we should give up because they're ungodly and destructive, there um, there are aspects to our differences that are are part of God's intentionality for human beings. And we can begin to see how the Bible actually helps us instead of fights against our need to deal with national distinctives and border issues and, and some of these things. At some point, it'd be good to, to discuss globalization uh, nationalism and some of these things and see what the Bible actually teaches about, about some of these very important issues. But we're losing. The, the more uh, uh, we, we view the world in this more globalized way, we don't realize what we're losing in our various distinctivenesses. And we could dis- discover that by reading the Bible on its own terms. And, we'll, and, and, and we can only do that when we understand the centrality of Israel and the plan of God. So moving forward from here, I, I hope to look at some uh, very specific issues. Um, I have a presentation that I'd like to share with you um, that has to do with um, how some people think that uh, Israel f- being the king of the Jews and fulfilling uh, the role of Israel then negates the ongoing 
importance of Israel and the plan of God when actually I think that it confirms it. And I don't know if I'm going to do that next week. I'm also looking forward to starting to get some guests on the show and talking about various subjects. I don't have anything uh, for sure uh, uh, happening that way yet, but I am working on it. Uh, Send in your comments. You can email me. Check out uh, past uh, Thinking Biblically podcasts on the. You can go to thinkingbiblically.ca. Um, that is a gateway into my alangilman.ca website where you could check out my, my other teaching uh, materials and you can uh, contact me from there. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, I'd, I'd surely appreciate you sharing and commenting there. And uh, let me know if you have any particular uh, topics that you want me to cover or questions that you'd like me to try to answer. I'd be very happy to, to take a look at that and I, I'll get back to you. Uh, whether or not we deal with it uh, on the podcast itself. And so until next time. Thank you for listening to the Thinking Biblically podcast with Bible teacher Alan Gilman. More information about Alan Gilman's Bible teaching is available at his website, alangilman.ca.